Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. And welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne. And with me today is the so marvelous Karina Bourne, my lovely wife. And we're here for part one of a Christmas special just for you, the listeners. So, Karina, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Tom. How are you going? Doing well, doing well. It's almost Christmas. We've managed to escape the mad rush of people out there. But it's been a big 12 months, hasn't it? It's been huge. For people who don't know us yet, what sort of things have we been through in the last 12 months? Well, in the last 12 months, we've moved pretty much from the top end of WA to Perth. So that was a couple of big moves, plus working and job change for you and big work things for me but it's been an adventure and a half indeed and we've endured removalists twice i can tell you now that was a an interesting adventure both times we've become pretty proficient at moving and along the way somewhere in that year we started this lovely podcast health and safety conversations so karina would you like to tell them how health and safety conversations came into being well, you had an idea to do some recordings and some conversations with people. And then through discussion, it, we thought that podcasts would be the best way to share the conversations with people in the community who were interested. So it was the best platform for conversations that you were creating and having and enjoying. Yeah, I've got, I, I got to be honest and say, I, I thought podcasts, when it was originally suggested to me from Karina, I thought, oh, it's a bit wanky, it's a bit trendy, I'm, I'm too old for that sort of stuff. But it's worked incredibly well, and I'm, I'm very glad she, she floated the idea with me in that forum. 
All right. So we thought we'd do a review of the year that's been and possibly revisit some of the conversations we've had this year and sort of condense it into a, a couple of small episodes. So what have been your highlights from this year? Well, the highlights from the year for me was, well, learning about the podcast and that's a learning journey in itself. And if anyone wants help setting up podcasts, please contact me because I'm more than happy to help. But each guest that we brought on brought their own specialties and their own take on health and safety. So what we'd like to do is review the guests, but there's too many to fit into one episode. We've got 20 guests. So we've broken it into two. And within those two episodes, we've decided to break it down into groupings. So for part one of the podcast, how have you grouped them, Tom? Well, that's an interesting, isn't it, Karina? Um, we'll, take, we'll take it group by group. So the first group I like to call the originators. Now, the originators were the first three guests I had on, and we released their episodes on the same day. Might I say, not a very wise idea in retrospect, but it is what it is, and we did it. So of those originators, we started with Alana Ball. Alana Ball is the head and founder of Women in Safety. And she's talked. she talked a lot about the journey and the value of the group and also of some of the situations that she's experienced working as a woman in safety. And I guess for me, one of the really clear kind of standout messages that's come in that last little while is going, do you know what? I truly feel that if women in safety is successful in what we deliver in that concept of empowering, transforming and inspiring the profession, that the women working in health and safety can truly make changes to families like yours and mine to go home safe. And getting really clear on that has just driven every conversation, every webinar I do. I think knowing that if I get it right and these women feel empowered, then they make some really, really cool changes in their workplace. What better reason to keep going and to keep putting that effort in? I'll ask your opinion about something, which probably I shouldn't because it's a bit controversial. What's your opinion on FIFO? Look, I think I, and look, we, we get asked from a women in safety perspective to assist with recruitment at times. And often it's like, oh, can you throw this out? And again, it usually is a case of we're not allowed to say that we want a woman in this role, but we want a woman in this role. Mm -hmm whether at a quota or what, and then they tell me the the type of role and it'll be either FIFO or drive in, drive out. And they tell me that, you know, it's X amount of weeks on and X amount of days off, whatever it might be. And I kind of just turn around and go, well, I can tell you now that majority of my membership will turn their nose up at it because we are working parent, or if not, what does that actually inspire us to do? So from the female perspective, I think it's hard for, like, I certainly know hand on heart, there's not a chance. Once upon a time, single, I might've done FIFO. Great opportunity to get some money in the bank. I have seen, you know, in extended family, what it does to, FIFO does for families, you know, divorce, certainly attempted suicides and all the rest. I think 
I can see the, the why it happens. And I think we are a resource rich nation. But my concern is we're not doing enough to support those workers. And again, you hear the stories of the guy that gets on the flight and the wife is there going, don't go, don't go, don't go. But then the husband comes home and it's like, oh, now you're ruining our routine. Like we were mm. already in routine and we don't want you home because we're, we're stuck in our routine now. And yeah, so there's, I can see the reasoning behind doing it from a business standpoint, from the financial operational standpoint, I can see, make it see perfect sense from a psychological look at the rate of mental health in Australia, let alone just in, we're not doing enough to support them. Uh, we're not doing enough to make it equitable for those people doing it. And I think as a result, we're seeing this, the statistics reflect that. The second person we interviewed was Nicola McFarl. Now, Nicola was one of my, previously one of my former students, and it's a rare person. It's a rare person that walks into your classroom and you know pretty much within the first few minutes that you are no longer the smartest person in the room. And Nicola was one of those rare finds. She moved from being a virgin pilot, which and during COVID became a job that was almost extinct and successfully transitioned across into senior management in the private industry. And she gives us her insights on corporate responsibility and why safety makes sense to business. All right, now for some very quick questions, just safety related. Complete this sentence, safety is important to me because... Because, and I'm gonna make it a really long sentence, because often doing the safe thing is also doing the profitable thing. <laughs> and I'm, I've got Malaysia in mind here where, um, you know, where they had two sort of major incidents very close to each other. They lost an aircraft in Ukraine and then obviously MH370 went down and gosh, that hit their bottom line real hard. Doing the safe thing is doing the right thing for everybody. The third person and the one for rounding out the group of originators was Georgina Poole. Now, Georgina, again, was a former student of mine. She did a cert for work health and safety with me, and she is quite open and coming forth on her views about safety. She also runs the highly successful podcast, Leading Safely, and she talks about her best and her worst times in health and safety. Hazard and risk management only because I've seen what that result kind of looks like when you're conducting a risk assessment or facilitating mm. some sort of risk management speak out on site. I had senior level kind of geotechnical gentlemen out on site say that they were going, they were basically going close to a, a 10 meter drop, a hole, a void, and they were using their feet to tap the ground as their control measure. And when I asked, what, what do you do if someone falls? One of them actually gestured and put his hand out and grabbed the shirt of the other. And he said that was their control for, well, if one's going to fall, it was like, I'm just going to grab him and like literally reach out and grab his shirt. So we didn't need to have working at heights or fall or <laughs> any sort of measures. That's what we did. But on their risk assessment, on their JHA, they listed PPE as an item of, you know, control. They listed tying their shoelaces up as a method of control, but they failed to identify the 10-metre drop that they could potentially fall over. So who's your next group then, Tom? Well, the next group is, is an interesting collection. It's the ones I like to call the academics, the authors, 
and the influences. People who have influenced the thoughts and challenged people's perspectives about safety. And first off, we heard from Associate Professor Nectarius Coranicus. Say that things would happen nevertheless a bit fatalistic. On the other hand, to say that all incidents could have been prevented, it is maybe delusion. Yes, after the fact, when you look at what happened, you could say, ah, you could have done this or that or that. This doesn't mean that you will prevent the new, another event in the future. Not a single event happens under the same conditions, the same circumstances. Traditionally, the differentiation between incidents and accidents have to do with the severity. So if we had fatalities, we, we have an accident or huge damage when we didn't have serious injuries or fatalities, we name them incidents or serious incidents, their classifications out there. But I will get back to this controlled thing you said. We did a study three, four years ago in aviation, and we found that even incidents were uncontrolled, meaning that they just happened and the end user, the operator mm -hmm. didn't have the chance to intervene. So we still have events where the outcome was not determined by any control of the system. In the accident case, that was more frequent. So we have about 30% of accidents non-controlled by the end user and about 7% only of the incidents without any attempt by the end user to intervene. But in, in both cases, we had uncontrolled conditions. The question is here, why something is uncontrolled? And for the cases that the end user controlled in the, case, in, in the sense that intervened, attempted to, to rectify you know, a problem, an issue, how successful this intervention was and how we compare that. So those classifications do not have any meaning if we don't connect them with what to do next. If we classify things so that to justify ourselves not to action something, then I would not endorse any of those classifications. If we endorse classifications to prioritize actions, should we focus on serious incidents or incidents, then if we have good criteria to prioritize, I would support those types of definitions. But traditional ones more, I know in vocabulary, accident means something like bad luck. Yep. But in the health and safety, it's not about bad luck. Most of the time, it's about the severity that we, we really had a very bad outcome. That's yeah. at least the language we, we use. Yeah. Next, we heard from leading teams, men associated with the man himself, Todd Conklin, Brett Sutton from New Zealand, who talked to us about learning teams. Learning Teams is the original work of Dr. Todd Conklin. And Todd published what I consider to be the, the seminal work on Learning Teams in 2016. And Learning Teams is simply a way of engaging with workers to better understand that gap between workers imagined versus workers done. So when an event happens, 
it comes as no shock that how the work is how the work was being done was different to how the organization expected it. That should not come as a surprise. No. But the problem that we have with investigations, it places the person in the center. And if the spotlight is on you, Tom, I don't know how you feel, but it's pretty easy to start feeling blamed yep, or start feeling punished because you're focusing on it. So what a learning team does is a learning team places the system in the center and the workers around the outside. And it asks the workers, what, what does normal work look like? How did the system support you to be successful in normal work? And what was different on the day of the event? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now I can tell you, I've done a lot of investigations in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Every learning team I run, workers share with me, why can't we do that more often? When was the last time you heard a worker say to you after investigation, I enjoyed that investigation so much, I can't wait for the next one? That would be zero. Correct. <laughs> Yet 100% of every learning team I run, workers say, I enjoyed that experience. I learned from that experience. I feel much better about what I do. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing about a learning team, what scares people is its organic nature. Because with an investigation, we have a very defined process. Yeah. And we also heard from Andrew Barrett. Andrew Barrett, who has run the longest running safety podcast in Australia and is a highly respected and influential safety professional. In part, I think we have to take a big step back and zoom out to two things. What does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be in business? And when I say in business, I mean in profit-making organisations. So they're two lenses which often, you know, safety professionals don't kind of zoom out to look at. So one is that I think there's a complicated kind of sociology and psychology associated with, you know, finding someone to blame. You know, we've burned witches at the stake. We we love when something significant goes wrong to, to be able to point the finger at someone. You know, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Potato Factory, which is about very famous who ended up getting sent from the England in the 1800s to the penal colonies in Australia. And they just love punishment. Now, it seems like that is a, an inherent part of human nature. And I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist, but I'm certainly 
you know, learning in this area. And so what where I've landed on that is that it seems to be kind of inherently human. But the question that we've then got to ask is, is it helpful? Is it helpful for us? So when we were in a village and you had someone who fell asleep on watch when they were meant to be warning the rest of the village that there was a saber-toothed tiger coming. If they kept falling asleep doing that, they were putting the whole village at risk, which means then that they would potentially be kicked out of the village. Now, that, that's a survival mechanism. Now, we don't really live in those conditions anymore. So in many ways, the things that helped us survive many thousands of years ago are actually problematic in our modern-day society. So I think that's one part of it. We have to wrestle with this idea that our, our desire to blame, to ask the question of who, to, to put it to bed by pointing a finger, I think is inherently human, but it's just not helpful. And there are, there are ways, there are lots of scholars who've looked at things like restorative justice um, or just culture and things like that, that gives us insights into the ways that we can go about rethinking it, but it's very, very difficult. The, the second part is, I think, the economic context here, which is that we've all been duped that, that if you if you have a left-leaning economic stance, that that's communism. And communism, most people have said, is a dangerous and unfair thing to impose on people as a form of government or philosophy of living. Yeah. And, and I don't know that many people would disagree with that. The problem is, is that on the right-hand side, which is capitalism, neoliberal capitalism, we don't give that a label. Some people do, but but we don't really talk about that as a thing. And yet that's what we live and breathe and work in every single day, which is this profit, profit, profit at all costs context of businesses. Quarterly results, delivery to the shareholders is the most important thing, accountability to the market, the abuse of resources from an environmental or from a human point of view. So we talk a different game about safety and, and environmental protection and whatnot, but when the context is continued to extract and to exploit, which is what, what, what the current economic system expects of organisations, then that starts to, I think, make sense for the way that certain people behave, in particular senior leaders and, and the way that resources are allocated. Finally rounding out the group was the awesome Clive Lloyd. Clive, the award-winning author and also a co-owner of Just consultancy. Clive demystifies topics such as root cause, zero harm, zero harm advisor, and a few other things to go with it. I think one of your favorite things with Clive Lloyd was asking him some, some questions and talking about those key phrases that you both had a great discussion about. Yeah, I, I tried something new with Clive and he was certainly up to the challenge. It's something I haven't done before, but I I figure you're, you're up to the challenge. I'm going to give you uh, uh -oh. a, a few a few terms yeah. and very briefly, because I know I like to talk and I'm, I reckon you like to talk too. Yeah. But very briefly, just give me your take on all these terms. So I'll, I'll do them one by one so we don't get confused. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Zero harm. Unachievable. Workforce certainly viewed as unachievable. Safety platitude does more harm than good. Okay, good. Zero harm advisor. Largely set up to fail. <laughs> okay, good, good. Common sense isn't so common. I'd love somebody to define for me what common sense actually is. Good. I don't even believe it's a thing. I don't believe common sense actually exists. Good. And it's a way of blaming people. Yep. Safety professional. I've got mixed feelings on this one. I've met some people in the safety field who I would consider to be exceptionally professional people. Safety as a profession, it, it, 
given what we've just been speaking about, given that much of safety is not based on research or evidence, there's some challenges there. I know so people like Rob Long, for example, have a, they don't like safety as a profession. I think that's overly harsh for me, only because I've met some incredibly professional people in the safety field. So I'm a bit gentler on that one. Good. Safety is everyone's responsibility. Crap. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Let me just, don't get me wrong. We all have, of course, our own accountabilities. And that is true. Accountability is very important. It's though often used and you know, you've seen the stickers in bathrooms. Yeah. The person you're looking at is responsible for you. That I think neatly negates responsibility from anybody else, including leadership. Now I prefer safety is our responsibility. It's a collective responsibility. It is not mine. If, if, if I'm out sort of on a mine site somewhere and I'm doing everything I can do to stay safe, there's no guarantee I will be if there's, um, you know, a systemic issue. There's a systemic error that doesn't keep me safe. No, it's, it's a cop out. Brings me to the next one, which is pretty similar. You are responsible for your own safety. Again, I've got things in my life I'm responsible for, including my choices. But, you know, even if we say safety is a choice you make, often it's not. Often there are other variables. And again, think about people doing repetitive tasks. The odds are they're not consciously thinking anything. And so it's just a yet another way to blame the individual, to blame the worker. It feeds all of that stuff. Root cause. In my experience, there is never one root cause. And all too often, it's, it's expedient. That person took a shortcut, right? That's the root cause. Got it. No, there's, there's why did it make sense again to take that? Where, where, does, where does our system actually encourage, enable, or even reward that? There's other things going on here. So no, I don't believe in a root cause deep dive into data you've been you've been churning through corporate speak here Tom. deep dive into data i i really love simple language and i try to avoid like the plague those sort of euphemisms and those that the corporate speak don't get me wrong i like that i like research i like evidence so it's good to look at data but a deep dive into data you know it's kind of corporate speak and probably just gets people to switch off instantly. Last one, resilience training. <laughs> I've got some major issues with that. Don't get me wrong. I think resilience is a skill that we can all learn. We, we talk about, we talk about it in terms of cognitive psychology, consciously reframing events, you know, to, to get better results. But what I've learned, Tom, this is my biggest bugbear is well, two things briefly. Briefly, number one, a lot of organizations bring people in to do resilience training so they can keep loading their people up with stress. <laughs> no, that's, it's not their resilience that's the issue. Change the system so you stop stressing people out. The second issue is many people these days who are actually doing the resilience training are not psychologists. And resilience really is a field of psychology, a particular area of study, looking at people that overcame adversity and didn't just survive, but thrived. It's a whole area of research. And so these days when resilience training is being done, it's, it's become a bit more like, you know, you've got to be happy all the time, <laughs> which is a crappy goal. Anyway, nobody's happy all the time. Happiness is a, 
a state that fluctuates. It's all about being optimistic or, or positive thinking. That's not what resilience is about. And so two things, why people bring us in, people bring resilience training in in the first place and how it's actually facilitated. Don't try and make people happy all the time. It's not going to happen. Good, good. <laughs> all right. I'm going to get a lot more hate mail now. It's, uh, it was quite refreshing. Right. So who's in that next group, Tom? All right. The last group we're going to be covering today in the lead up to Christmas. These are the group of people that I actually refer to as the trainers. So I spoke to three trainers or former trainers in health and safety. The first one was Sebnam Bullenworth. And Sebnam talked to us about mental health first aid. So it will be similar, like very similar with the physical first aid, but we need to sell that to the businesses, I suppose, as and, and the government to do, make amendments on the legislation. Unfortunately, it will be great to have it, but they don't. But if you have more mental first aiders in the workplace, you're actually benefit, benefiting it more. So let me give you some statistics. Well, what am I talking about? Mm -hmm. In Australian businesses, it costs about 11 billion. Psychological health, mental illnesses at work, cost $11 billion a year. And it basically includes the sick leaves. It includes the compensation claims. It includes people not coming back to, you know, coming back to work for a long time as well, because it can take up, up to six months to bring back someone with a psychosocial hazard to bring back the workers. So, and then it also includes the productivity because it impacts the productivity of the workers. If Next up was a gentleman I've worked with for many times over the years, Jason Martell, and he talked to us about legislation and about, to gave us some stories about the importance of delivering safety to students. Oh, absolutely. And, and actually, that's a very interesting thing. Just today, I asked my the people in the health and safety rep course, you know, which, which would you rather have a crash in, an old car or a new car? And we we're talking about safer by design. And, you know, that hypothetical um, might be you can't avoid the crash but you do get a choice of which car you're going to crash in. So that raises, you know, quite often there's the, a common response is, oh, the old car, because they're big and strong. And it's like, well, yeah, but have you seen what happens to the human body when it, it continues to accelerate when the thing that you're in is no longer traveling? So yeah, they're, they're interesting discussions and, and that sort of stuff um, definitely, I think, brings to the fore, like, you know, the whole idea of safer by design. It's a great example. And if, you know, if you're going to crash, you know, you might as well do it in a nice new car. Finally, we spoke to David Joyce, a former student of mine, but now a health and safety instructor in his own right about his experiences in safety in New Zealand and Australia. Well, in New Zealand, it's a lot different. I basically went through the whole time in the bush back there, not even knowing what a unit of competency was or a, a ticket a license to drive anything when i came over to australia here it was a lot more regulated i, I suppose the the main thing in the industries is, is the culture of the people that are in it and what i found especially on drilling rigs it, it, the senior people would always dictate how important safety was in regards to how everyone else takes it so if the senior people took took it as a joke, then everyone else would as well. How amazing is that? That you've 
inspired someone to become a trainer in their own right. Oh, that's nice. But I think David was well on the journey long before I came into his life. All right, that rounds out the groups that we will do today. It is Christmas Eve. So is there any Christmas wish you'd like to give out to the listeners, Corinne? Oh, just have a wonderful Christmas. And I hope you take some time to to rest and to reflect on the amazing things that you've accomplished in the year. And yeah, really take some time to, to fill your cup and, and think about what you can do in the next year to support yourself and, and your mental health. All right. And Merry Christmas from me. And my message would be just enjoy the time with your family and friends. Take care of yourselves and we'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.